Individual therapy can be such a rewarding process. Unfortunately, a lot of people reject it because they're afraid of the unknown. I am Naya B, therapist, author, speaker, educator, and influencer, and I welcome you to do individual therapy with me. Take this journey and listen as unfiltered and unscripted brave souls heal and share their stuck points. My hope is that someone listening can relate to their stories and get a perspective on how real therapy takes place. Who knows? Maybe one day decide to get some therapy of their own. But when you do, though, just come do it with me, Naya B. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Naya B. And we are back for another session of Doing It With Naya B. You guys know this season has been about setbacks, comebacks. And I have a really cool guest with me here today. This is my first guy for the season. So I'm like really, really excited because I know my listeners have been waiting for a guy to come in here as y'all do every, every season. So I'm going to introduce you guys, Lamont. What's up, Lamont? Hello, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. So what's been going on? What has encouraged you to want to come do this with Naya B? Because, you know, I, I, you know, hear about dudes not really wanting to do this whole therapy thing, but I'm really impressed by you and your story and your setbacks and comebacks. So let's talk a little bit about you. Um, I think with me, it was more so uh, it's been such a long, it wasn't really a long journey, actually. It was, uh, in comparison to most people, it was probably really fast. But for me, um, learning myself, um, what I learned throughout the journey and speaking with other men and just how far they are from even thinking about going to therapy and how much it actually helped me. So hopefully I'll be able to say something that uh, maybe help somebody uh, or encourage them to participate in therapy and help themselves. Okay. Well, tell me a little bit about this journey you speak of. Um, how did this start? What was, what was, you know, what what was that moment like for you or what was the journey like for you? Were there some dark spots? Did it start off dark and get light? Like, what was that? What is that journey? Therapy was ridiculously bad at first. Like, it just, <laughs> I don't know, my, my conception of it was to come in, you know, lay it all on the table, kind of like put together a puzzle. I was just going to tell you everything that was going on and just, we want to start fixing it. And it was like, you really got to, dig into your problems and dig into your past and what actually hurt you and how it made you feel. And um, speaking from my experience, that was something that I never, I felt like I was never allowed to do. Um, feel and understand what made me feel like that, which gave me triggers and things that, you know, I didn't, I had no idea about. It was just all bearing things and moving forward and keeping my head down and just trying to get through life. Was going to therapy part of your comeback or was that part of what set you back emotionally because you didn't know you were going to do all of that? What was that? What what took you to therapy? What made you decide, OK, I need to go? Um, with me, it was um, I was actually at a process of we I had got gotten separated in my marriage, which eventually led to a uh, divorce. And the original reason was. I was told that I was depressed and I didn't believe it. So um, reached out, got some therapy and um, started to, to work with the personal therapist. But I felt like once I spoke with you, um, I felt like I needed more, which uh, actually got me into group therapy as well. So I was in the, at the process of doing group and personal therapy at the same time. And when I got to the group therapy, um, the physician there, 
actually asked me, you know, do you think you're depressed? And I was like, I think I'm fine. And he gave me like a list of 30 things. And he was said, check everything that applies to you. And I checked off like 27 of the 30 things. <laughs> it was like, oh, I guess I'm depressed. So from there, the journey kind of started. Um, it was really difficult for several, I would say probably several months. It was really difficult to actually um, peel back everything that happened in your life. And I feel like as um, boys, men, um, a lot of those feelings are, you, you're not allowed to have them. Uh-huh. You just, you know, move on with life, you know, suck it up. Don't cry. You can't feel like this. So if you start taking away um, these emotions that we don't get to explore, happiness is one of those things that, I mean, if you grow up in a certain atmosphere, happiness is not an option anyway. You can't be sad. You can't cry. You can't, you know, you can't be weak. It's all equated to being weak. So, um, after a while, just everything is just anger and aggression, uh-huh. you know, covering up those emotions. So once I got in, got into therapy and started to be honest with myself and started to really um, explore who I was, it was just like, Damn. you know, I am. I was 36, 37 at the time. Like I got 36, 37 years to unpack yeah. and realized I had issues with my mother, um, sisters, family members that I just buried and just said everything's all right and it wasn't yeah well let me give you guys a little bit of feedback um since lamont wanted to tell out his business um <laughs> so i met lamont years ago and um lamont has he's he's been out of he's been out of therapy for some years but sometimes i follow up with people see how they're doing and i'm just so impressed with how he's been and i think that um because a lot of men don't go to therapy and he's probably been one of the ideal uh clients of mine because i've seen him do the work i watched him do the work and so some things i may know and actually like I'm learning a little bit here now because some stuff I didn't know like about the questionnaire and the 27 things that you you know crossed off but um, I think what is important and powerful about his story was that um, when when he came to me and man like if y'all could have just seen the sadness in this dude right he was he was definitely going through some things and a lot of times guys don't like to talk to women So there was a couple of things that, you know, might have been barriers, but they weren't. And we actually did some great work together. And so let's fast forward years later, you know, I just, you know, checked in with him, did some follow up. And I was really, really impressed with how he's doing. And I'm like, you should come on my show and tell everybody about the growth that you had. Because, you know, to watch people go from their transition, especially black men. You know, I know a lot of black men out there who are probably thinking, I don't want to talk to a stranger. I don't want to tell anybody my business. I don't want to go through seeming weak or there's nobody who can help me or talk to me. Um, and to see him progress and to be this advocate now for like mental health and, you know, to tell his other male friends, like you need to go. And, you know, I've seen this man do a lot of work. He's been to my trainings, my workshops. He's, you know, really, really, really um, put in the effort. And I just really wanted him to, share with the world just how he progressed from just being in this space to where he is now. So, you know, if you, if you're, if you feel comfortable, I I would definitely like to get your insight on just how being in a relationship 
can can break a man to some level being in the wrong relationship or being in a space that you think is best for you but it's really not because a lot of times guys you know people think that guys are just out here cheating and messing around and sleeping with women and they don't really value relationships but what i learned about you <laughs> was that you actually like you know was like hey i i want my family like i love my family and you got to a point where that that desire almost broke you. So tell me a little bit about that, because that's the part that I see as the setback. But we might have explored other stuff that was setting you back and then went into this spill. No, I think um, I mean, I'm I'm completely comfortable talking with talking about whatever you want to talk. About. Like, I don't. It's fine um, with me. Um, understanding myself later really helped me understand why it hurts so much with the breakup. Um, I found out that I was a people pleaser. I did not know that about myself. So, um, and I didn't have an identity. Um, I had a role in the marriage and that really became my identity because growing up, um, the oldest of six, um, I was always providing. I was always at service of somebody else. And then I grew up and I got in, got into the relationship and then I got married and then I was at the service of somebody else. So I never really explored who I was. It was just always being a provider, being a protector. And, um, that when that was taken away from me, it felt like I just lost everything. I mean, if I, I felt crippled because at that point it was like, um, I felt like I did everything that I was supposed to do. Um, and I was being punished for not knowing, you know, about, uh, essentially an illness. And we don't think about depression. I think feel like men don't think of depression as an illness. I feel like we don't even, we don't really, uh, even put it into the equation. Like you just feel like you complaining. And then when you speak to other men and you all tell the same story, it's like, oh, well, this is just business as usual. So to be one of um, a few men that will say, you know, that's something that that's not right. That's you shouldn't feel like that, or is you need to go talk to somebody, or you know, have you ever thought about you 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 may be depressed? And like, no, like, well, you know, are you happy? I mean, you know, they, they always have like, I mean, like, no, are you happy? Or you know, we don't think about being happy. We just think about getting the job done. So, um, for me, it crippled me. It crippled me for several months several months uh it was uh it was not a fun time. it was not fun at all like i don't want to scare anybody about therapy but it was not a fun process because every time i felt like i was making progress it was like there was something else because you have to be honest about your situation you have to be honest about who you are and every time i thought i was making the progress it was like well there's something else you know, um, just being completely honest about my my situation, um, my father wasn't around. And then I met my father at 30. And I just felt like that didn't affect me at all. And it come like that was turning me up inside. And even my idea of how marriage should be and my role in a marriage, I always equated in my mind as a young boy to have my marriage like the Huxtables. That's what that's what I thought a marriage should be. I should be um bill i should come in take care of the, take care of you know have the job provide and you know and it did not go like that and when it didn't it it crushed me 
Do you think you said something really powerful earlier that a lot of men just focus on being functional, but not happy. Like they, they get up, they do what they got to do. They provide, they come home. It's just like the functions of it all, but they don't really think about, am I happy? Am I living the life that I really want? Or am I living the life that I'm obligated to live? And I think that that's a difference. And I think a lot of men do that. They do things out of obligation, not out of desire. So it starts to get to the point where their life doesn't feel like it's their own. They're living for someone else. And then it sounds like you went through this transition of a learning, even though you came to therapy because you were going through a process of separation, you learned that there were so many other things that you had to resolve outside of outside of this. And, you know, it sounds like through that process, you started to be reborn or you started oh. to be able to, to look at yourself like. Okay, I do. I do need to choose me sometimes. I do need to make sure I take a step back. I do need to make sure that I tell me a little bit about that process. because That's when I started to see the growth and change in you. Um, That was a really difficult point to even achieve. Um, Being if you're, you know, in a similar situation or you have that same type of uh, morals or drive, you don't put yourself first. I never put myself first and it felt wrong. I felt guilty for saying, you know, I got to put me in front of everybody else. I just couldn't even understand it. I couldn't fathom that. Um, everybody else was always in front of me in my mind. I take care of my family when I was younger. Um, I take care of the kids. I take care of the wife. I take, you know, it was always something else. So when I finally got to the point of understanding why it is important to put me first, because without me, it don't work. I, if I don't, if I don't take care of me or say this is what makes me happy, then you will never achieve your happiness. And for me, that was a big, I mean, I mean, just eyes wide open at that point of saying, I have to, this is what I have to do. Because in order for you to be happy, I feel like you got to understand your sadness. You got to understand what makes you sad, what triggers that feeling of depression and anxiety. So I got to know that feeling rather well. So once I understood that, then I can understand, well, this doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do that. Well, I'm not going to accept that. That's something that I'm not willing to accept this type of treatment. And once I started to put me first and I can start seeing what doesn't work for me, what doesn't work in my life, it was just, man, I mean, just a, a breath of fresh air. Like I, like I literally took my first breath, like, man, and it, the anxiety kind of went away um, at that point as well. Uh, tell me, like, literally, can you remember, like, the first thing you did that was a was proof that you were going in the right direction that, you know, major anxiety subside the first the very first step you took to say, oh, this is what this feels like. And this feels good without guilt. Yes. And it's going to sound really, really small, but it was huge. I started saying no. I started standing up for myself. I started saying, no, nah, I'm no. I, if you called me for anything, I will make sure that I was there. And I was just I uh, stretched myself so thin all the time, burning the candles. I always had two jobs um, working, working one job, working all the overtime I could possibly work. So when I started getting to the point where my time became important to me, my needs and wants started to become important to me. And just saying no to that. You know what? It didn't, I didn't even have anything to do. I just, nope, I just wanted to lay in the bed for the day. 
it felt like like I was making progress because you could call me and I would always pick up the phone. I'm always coming. But once I started to prioritize my time and what I was doing and actually resting, because I found out one of the biggest things that through depression that you can do that will put you in more jeopardy is not resting. And when I went in to group therapy and guy asked me how often, how much was I sleeping? I told him 32 hours a week. And he looked at me like, I was crazy. Like what? I'm like, I work nights. I, you know, I got kind of a second job. I take care of the kids and I do this and I do that. And he's like, that is the absolute worst thing you can do is not rest. So I just started putting me first. And like I said, just saying no was just like a huge step because if you're a person that, you know, don't put yourself first, you always, you always allowing people to come in and take your time and, um, almost bully you into doing things. Yeah, you guys see why I, I, I really am impressed and touched by this man's progress because it is the simplest things. And I think a lot of men don't do that. They don't say no, they don't set boundaries. Their time does not belong to them, it belongs to everybody. And what I think is important too, because a lot of people think that depression is just about sleeping all the time. Sometimes depression is about avoidance and it's also about overworking yourself. And it's also about not getting that rest because you're constantly trying to stay busy so that you don't think. Because sometimes if you're having idle time, you start going down the spiral of like hopelessness where you start thinking about the mistakes, the, the what you see as failures and what's not working. So I know a lot of men who will work themselves through a crisis. They would just work and work and work and they will avoid and avoid and avoid until they either spiral out of control with anger or get frustrated or like you say, just burn out completely. And I think that that's typically, you know, what contributes to a lot of this undiagnosed mental health issues that a lot of men have. They just got to carry this weight, keep working, keep hustling, keep grinding. And then what you do see is anger. So say, I'm not emotional, but then they'll be angry. Well, what do you think anger is? It's an emotion, right? And if you start peeling back those layers of anger, you have like all this sadness there. And I really just think it's so impressive how it takes a lot of courage, number one, to be able to tell other people no especially if you've had a lifetime of telling everybody yes and accommodating them because you, you run the risk. What was it like on that other side for people? How did they respond to you when you started saying no? What was that like? Well, uh, the first couple of times, you know, of course I felt guilty. It was like, you know, no, I can't do it. And it, you know, it kind of hurt my heart because it's like, Oh man, I, I really could do it. But it's like, I just don't feel like it. And it was really that I did. I, it was the best decision for me. Um, for my health was to actually rest because I was going through this whole process of depression and you need to rest. And depression, it was really something that I, I had to learn. I had to understand. It was either I was sleeping all day long. I wasn't sleeping at all. So it was this, this uh, seesaw effect of sleep, not sleep, want to do things, didn't want to do anything. And like you spoke of, of being depressed, a lot of men don't understand is when you don't take time to stop and really appreciate some of the things that you've accomplished, uh, the, the things that you are doing, the things that, you know, you're getting done. You'll just keep adding to your list and you'll just keep working because you're not get, you're never getting enough done. You're never getting enough accomplished. And that is a that feeling of defeat as trying to be a provider for your family or you know, this ideal dad that you see yourself as it, it kills you and you won't be yourself. You will just a person that works. You'll never go out. 
you you're not around anybody that nobody's seen from you, nobody's heard from you, and it's it just you are not yourself. And this is man, it's a hard, it is a very hard road. So once I was able to first say no and then get comfortable with saying no, man, I you got a hard time having me say yes now. <laughs> well, listen, I mean, I think that I tell everybody, I'm gonna say it to the until the day I leave this earth, self-care is not selfish. You know, it is setting boundaries and it's very needed and it's important. And saying no does not make you a bad guy. And I'm sure, you know, having me as a clinician probably didn't help because I wasn't very I don't want to say I wasn't nice, but I also wasn't, you know, very sensitive to the whole. I feel guilty about saying no, like I wasn't. I, I didn't I didn't coddle that. And I think and I'm hoping I, I think I know that that didn't make you more afraid of the process or make you shun away from it or didn't put you in a, in a bad space. I think I see a lot of people who come to therapy and the root of their issue usually is the fact that they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to be okay with people being upset with them if they don't have the time. Because the reality is people who are constantly taking, they're going to find the next person anyway to get their needs met. If you say no, they're going to find a way. So, you know, sometimes they go to the, the easiest yes. That's the first person they go to, the easiest yes. And then after that, they go on to the next person. Um, so at some point, it sounds like this, you know, taking care of you became a habit. And you started to see the benefits of that. And so, I'm, you know, I'm guessing that that is what contributed to the comeback. You know, a lot of times clients will come to me once they problems are, quote unquote, resolved. They start walking on their own and, and riding their own bikes and stuff. They're like, all right, I'll catch you. And so I have to check on them. And now they flying planes. And, you know, so I, yeah, I have to. I mean, seriously. So now, you know, you, 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 you walk, you ran, you sprinted, you jumped. So where, where are you now with things? What's your comeback looking like these days? Well, to be completely honest, I had, uh, right out there, I got finished with group therapy and personal therapy with you. That was like an extreme high. I mean, just walking on clouds, like you said, nothing. I, I, I mastered, I beat my depression. I beat my anxiety and, I was just ready to tackle the world and the world beat me back up. <laughs> uh, and I had uh, another low, which was lower than my original low. And I tell everybody rock bottom got a basement. So, you know, cause you feel like that now that you have this new mindset and you have this new perspective on life that everybody has this perspective in this, this jovial um, thought process and nah. Nope. So, the next process after learning to say no was to find out who had to go. Mm. There was people in my life that they 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 fit my past, but not my future. And they right. had to go. I just made a post about this on social media, how I tell people in the beginning when they come to therapy, are you ready for this change? Because as you begin to mentally prepare yourself and when you get to a point of healing, your environment has to change. Everything around you is not going to be the same. You're not going to feel the same. People are not going to have the same appeal to you. So what are you going to do about that? And so it's important that you bring that topic up because I think people think that once they leave therapy, their life is going to, that they can keep the same people around them. Yeah. And yeah. you can't. It, you is, can't. it is impossible for you to be in a toxic situation and not be poisoned. Impossible. Some people just, you have to realize that those people are just, they're just cordial friends. They're high and by. 
some people you can open up and talk to. And those are the people that you keep around. I think if you are going to endure therapy that you should create you a list of maybe four to five people that you can confide in because it's not a, it's not an easy process. And one therapy session is not going to fix you. And you have to be able to explore different emotions. If it's your sister, then y'all, my sister played a big part in my, um, my sister and my brother um, played a big role in my recovery because I was able to unpack some things um, with them. And it's like, am I crazy? Like, no, I, my sister, like she's right up under me. I am 39. She's 38. And she's like, I didn't realize you had been working since 12 and you had started paying bills when you were like 13 and like, you know, and that creates an anxiety about money immediately. If you start paying bills that young, you're always worried about money. You're always worried about not having enough money. So um, I would highly recommend that as well. You know, some people just, you'll, you'll know the people that in your heart, you don't want to let them go but you'll feel a whole lot better when you do. <laughs> right. You know, it, I think um, therapy gives people at least the skills and tools that they need to pull themselves out of that dark spot or pull themselves out because things are going to happen. People are going to challenge you throughout your life. You're never going to really be conflict free. You know, there's always going to be something you have to get through. And what's most important is getting through. And I think people believe sometimes that they're not supposed to have concerns. And it's like, no, you're going to because you're human. And that's just what life is about. It's about having concerns. So now you are, you know, stable, I'm guessing. Right. Where are you now? Yes, very, pretty stable. OK. Very, right. very, very. And I just had to also um, one of the big things was to understand that it's not just the depression was not just one thing. If, if I may get into a season that just usually the first of the year, it beats me up and I have to be aware of what's going on. I have to start talking. I have to, I'm a real big introvert. So I will start isolating myself and I had to be aware of that. And I had to start calling people, forcing myself to talk to people because I'll just disappear. So I'm, you know, you, as you progress and you learn your habits and your coping skills and what triggers you and everything else, it, it really helps out. A ton. Just you have to be willing to really explore yourself, though. Yeah, I agree. I completely, completely agree. So where are you now with things in regards to how you take care of yourself these days? What's your self-care like? What's, you know, your routine like? How do you make sure you maintain a level of joy so that you balance out those negative emotions? Uh, with me is really like I said, appreciating the small things and it just sounds silly, but um, just appreciating that where I am at, how I, what I drive, where I said, my kids' health, my health, um, just the small things that'll keep you going because if you don't have, if you're not congratulating yourself on what you're doing, you're just going to be beating yourself up about what you aren't doing. So that was a big thing. Um, my piece, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm exactly like, extremely happy but i'm extremely peaceful and i'm happy to have peace for like the first time in my life so i'm that is like i know that i'm definitely on the right road because you cannot come in my life and cause chaos i don't allow it um i just i'm i'm very peaceful i'm very calm um if i need to talk i make sure i reach out like even make like i said with you i don't feel like i'm in a bad spot but i make sure that now i'm about my maintenance to make sure that i stay where i'm at because i know it will 
depression will get on you and spiral out of control. And it doesn't always hit you the same way every time. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned. Like, I thought it would always be, you know, me moping and sad and disgruntled. And it didn't happen like that the second or third time. It was way different. Yeah, it looks different in, in different people, for sure. I mean, you have some people who isolate. You have some people who, you know, who 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 binge eat, go on shopping sprees, you know, live on this high all day long and, you know, um, mask a lot. So it, it looks totally different. And you have some people who uh, who don't talk, who don't spend, who are more internal when it comes to inflicting pain. So it's just it's just different. It's different for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm really glad that you are in a good place and that you are, you know, just being this advocate for black men who take care of their mental health. And I'm, I'm just so proud of you. I don't think I could be any more prouder, you know, and I, you, I could you. pat myself on the back and be like, I'm just you a dope therapist. But no, I always say like, it's the clients who do the work. And I love seeing you guys years later, you know, and just seeing how you're doing. And it's just like, wow, okay, I'm proud of you, you know, because a lot of steps you took way after me. Like I wasn't even in the picture anymore. Like you weren't, we weren't seeing each other for a long, long time. So you still maintain the work. You still, you still maintain the skills. That's all you, that's all you. I just planted the seed. That's all you. So pat yourself like, on though, the back for that though. I definitely do. Thank you much. And, um, <laughs> you know, definitely a dope therapist. And as you, how you said earlier, I felt like really I'm really thankful to God that I, because I called, like I told you, I called three therapists when I initially met with you and you were the first to call back. But you fit, you were the one that fit my personality. I feel the best without meeting the other two. It was really direct. Um, You didn't allow me a lot of wiggle room to make excuses. And it was about doing the work. And that's pretty much how I like to, you know, get into things anyway. And once I started to, Except the fact that I wasn't okay, that, you know, I wasn't living this perfect life and I started to unravel the ball. I just I just wanted to get to the middle of it and find out, you know, what was going on. So a lot of that work was, man, I mean, I would recommend anybody, you know, start reading on depression, start reading on like one of the, my favorite books actually is just crazy is The Five Love Languages. Once I started to understand the way that I actually need love changes everything. So, Mm -hmm. you know, and keeping positive, um, positive music as well. I could not keep listening to DMX. I had to start learning that certain music brings on certain moods. So I actually started listening to jazz and blues and, you know, music, some music without words and it just really calmed me down. But I realized, okay, I'm running around listening to DMX and Benny the Butch all day long. And all of a sudden I'm just aggressive for no reason. Like what's going on? (laughs) Yes. I mean, I will say that my body and spirit definitely goes together. What you eat, what you listen to, what you watch, who you're around, like all that makes a difference. Your lifestyle has to fit the recovery. Your lifestyle has to fit, you know, um, how you live. I listen to all types of music and I have my you know I have my genres for when I'm trying to get crunk I have my genres for when I'm trying to get hype I have my genres for when I just want to relax like everything has it's because music is mood altering it is mood altering and it has an influence and so I think that's a very very good point that you make um 
What advice would you give other black men who are just in the place of just not happy, not being happy, not choosing themselves and contemplating on how to get better? What would you tell them? Get uncomfortable. Um, Do something that is going to make you uncomfortable. Speak to somebody. And I know it feels weird to say, you know, talking to a stranger is, you know, I don't want to tell a stranger my business. That's the perfect person to tell your business to is a complete stranger because they don't know you. They can't, you know, they're not going to smear you. They don't know anything about you. Um, I feel like everything you have to get uncomfortable with all opposites. If you're trying to put to whatever you're trying to achieve, if you're trying to, you know, save a little money, you're going to have to get comfortable with appearing to be broke for a while. If you want to be happy, you got to get comfortable with finding out what makes you sad. So it's just a part of the journey and you have to get, you're going to have to get uncomfortable because you're going to have to make some choices that make you uncomfortable. And for me, I I literally felt like I got rid of it. I ain't going to say get rid of everybody, but I distanced myself from everybody and then found out who was best for me and brought those people back in and the ones that I already turned out, I left them out. And those people are actually easy to not deal with because they ain't coming like checking on you. They didn't come like, hey, everything cool. You all right. You need anything. It was always the people that were, hey, let me come. You need to go to lunch. You got to get out the house. How you doing? How the kids doing? Those people I decided to keep around and the ones that were there for their selfish reasons. They, they never pop back up. So, I mean, it was just literally that easy, but you, I had to make some uncomfortable decisions. Good, good, good. I love that. Um, I think a lot of men are so big on not feeling, you know, and then when they do feel seriously, when they do feel they're around the wrong people, because there's a lot of people who will tell them man up, you don't need to have feelings. You don't need to, you know, you're doing too much or, and that makes it unsafe when you're around the wrong people or when you're around people that, you know, call you a crybaby or say you weak or, and I know a lot of men go through that. So I think it's important, you know, to say, get uncomfortable, but you want to get uncomfortable around the right people, because if you get uncomfortable around the wrong person, it will really, really mess you up even more. I always say, you know, when you tell people about your trauma, telling the wrong person about your trauma can traumatize you even more than the actual trauma if they don't receive it well. So I think it's important, you know, for them to know, get uncomfortable, but get uncomfortable with the fact that there's some people you're going to have to realize you can't be comfortable with. And in that is discomfort, you know? So I, I applaud you for, for that message. Thank you. And I will say really, truly, um, it's probably going to be people that you don't expect to be around, you know, to actually have your back. And, uh, I may, told somebody else um, the other day that a lot of people are in your circle and not in your corner. And you have to realize like some of the people that you feel like should be um, the closest to you and usually family members. They, they just aren't, they just, they, they just won't be, and it'll be a friend or a neighbor or somebody that have you know, walked the path and happy to help you and try to help you understand it. But um, like you said, I feel like a lot of, men just try to numb themselves to the problem and it just really creates a larger um situation of sadness mm-hmm. and at, at some point it's just nothing makes you nothing at, at 
towards the end, nothing made me happy. And yeah. if it did, it was very short lived. Like you said, I was, um, as you were speaking, my big thing was gambling and I would win, but I mean, that was good for maybe a day or two. And then I was right back to everything sucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you, you definitely got to be aware of that as well. I was saying, you know, to to someone the other day, like when you're surrounded by the wrong people and this is powerful. And I know every year people come up with these resolutions like I'm getting rid of this person. I'm getting rid of that person, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think the, the, the thing with that is that we do have expectations of people. We have expectations of how they're supposed to be based on their roles, their titles. Um, and when you are a provider, you are going to attract people who are always needing. Right. So when you have when you're around people who always need, they're not going to be as helpful. Right. To your process, because they need you. They're dependent on you. So you don't really get challenged in that way or you don't get your needs met for real unless you like to be needed. You know, so when you let go of people who constantly need you, then you can make room for the people who actually want you. Because they don't need you. That means they're they're entertaining you. They're talking to you. They're challenging your intellect. They're, you know, making you they're They're the ones saying, hey, let's go to lunch. Let's do this. Let's do that. And then you don't have to sit there and worry about do I got to cover you today? Are you really broke? Are you just asking me out because you don't have no money? You know what I'm saying? So when you and it's not personal, it's not personal because people are in survival. A lot of people are in survival. So if you're hanging around people who are just in survival, then you're never going to feel fulfilled. And that's kind of kind of expanded on what I was saying about getting uncomfortable. It kind of goes hand in hand on what you're saying, because if you're around the people that take from you all the time and you get around people that give to you, you're going to be uncomfortable because you're used to providing. So you got to you got to be uncomfortable in that situation. You got to get uncomfortable with the fact of that. This is like something completely new to you and foreign. It, it's not wrong because if you're if you're used to being in a toxic atmosphere, that's comfortable to you. You're going to always want to be in that toxic situation because that's what you know. It's not best for you, but that's what you know. So the minute that you get out of that um, toxic situation and that's going to be very uncomfortable for you, it's peace, peace and quiet made me very, very uncomfortable for several months. I was not used to it. I was not used to not having my kids around, um, nothing happening, not having anything to do. My schedule was empty. I was very uncomfortable. So that's just kind of expanding on being uncomfortable and new things happening to you. Sometimes those new things are what's best for you, but you're so comfortable with the things, how you've always had them and them being wrong. You just you used to it. So, mm. yeah, absolutely. And I also think that when you have less to, quote unquote, give like physically, you are put in a position to where you have to tap into those emotions because now you're required to meet the emotional needs of everybody around you who don't necessarily need you, but want you. So that means you got to be cognizant of, did I invite them out today? Did I check on them? Did I call and say, what's up? Because they don't need any money from me. I'm used to people calling and asking me for money. I need to, you know, return the favor and reciprocate those emotional needs or those love languages. You know, yeah, gift giving is cool, but you know, am I actually like providing emotional support? Because for a long time, if all you knew was, you know, 
providing, functionality, building, having to be strong. Let me carry this box. Let me carry this bag. Let me, you know, you don't have to give emotions. And the only time people really require you to give emotion is if it benefits them in a sense. It's like, if I, yeah. I want to hear, I love you today. So you need to tell me, but then out of that, don't cry. Don't, don't scream. Don't shout. Don't yell. I don't want to hear about your bad day at work. I just want to hear you tell me how you feel about me. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so contingent. And I think a lot of men feel like they put their emotions in this box and they get confused because they like, you either want me to be here or not. And I don't think a lot of them know how to necessarily be there because of that functionality piece. And I just think, as men, we're so programmed into not expressing ourselves, to not sharing like how bad your day actually was. Like, oh, how was your day? Eh, it wasn't bad. Even though you may have, it may have been god awful horrible, but we just learned that if we start to, as they complain, it's weakness. We're not, we're not, that's not what you're supposed to do. It's just, oh, I had a bad day. Me too, man. You know, I did. Oh, okay. Now what? Like, okay, let's go ahead and go on about life. Like we all got a bad day. And it's just, you get so used to people dismissing you that you just, it just fades to black. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm hoping that these messages reach a lot of men so that they can start to improve. Seriously, it's important to improve because we need, we need leaders. We need, we need our Kings back. We need our Kings back. And I think that, you know, in order for us to have that, they got to be present, not just physically, but in themselves, spiritually, in themselves, emotionally, be able to know what their strengths, weaknesses are, you know, what type of women that they're to be dating, what type of people they're supposed to surround themselves with, what type of investments are they really supposed to be making? Because if they don't know themselves and if they're making decisions based off their anxiety, their depression, their functionality, they're not really showing up. They're not really showing up. So I think that this was this was really good and this was really, really dope. So. I am. And I thank you. And the last thing I will probably say, because I know we got to get off here, is that um, something that we didn't kind of touch on is that with the depression, I found out that I, I vibrate high. I have high energy. Um, I just try to get a lot done. And then being around somebody with low energy, the only thing that they can do is drag their energy down. So you almost mask and being a people pleaser as well. I step down or I wasn't being myself just because I was making them uncomfortable because I have such high energy. Mm-hmm. I am good with people, but that ain't, that's not what they wanted. So I had to scale that back, which then makes you even more unhappy and you're, you're miserable about that as well. So that is powerful right there because <laughs> I always tell people like, if you're around someone who does not support just, and that's what I mean by being equally yoked, compatibility, that type of thing. Because you could have someone who's an introvert and you be an extrovert or an extrovert, introvert, whatever, or you could be someone who's a people person and they're not people, people. You start to have a conflict about things like going out. You know, you start to have conflict about things such as having communication, talking, you know, or someone is, oh, the TV's too loud or I'm laughing too loud or you're doing, and it's like, these are conflicts you don't necessarily have to have if number one, you don't know how you function. And number two, if you're trying to please someone who functions on a whole different level than you, you're just giving up yourself. And then you start to resent that process. And then that doesn't do anything but make you more depressed. So 
that was powerful. And I think it was definitely necessary and needed to be heard amongst my listeners. So I appreciate you for sharing that. I appreciate you for coming on the show for real. Never a problem. I'm, I'm truly uh, thankful for you having me here and humbled. Yeah, honored. you are a wonderful testimony. I'll tell anybody like, hey, men do go to therapy. We definitely need more of them going. And I think that it's important for them to see how this process plays out, how beneficial it can be. And you have to have the right fit. It has to be with the right person. And I may not be a good fit for everybody, but I will say that everybody has a fit. Everybody has somebody that'll work for them. So even if you went to therapy one time and it didn't work out, that does not mean give up. You know, you just got to keep finding that right fit and it will definitely work itself out. So Lamont, I appreciate you for doing this um, with me today. And you guys know um, where to find me. If you need me, you can catch me on Instagram at author underscore Naya underscore B. Catch me on my website, NayaB.com and Facebook, Naya B. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you. 